0: Georgia's top politicians lay out competing agendas.
1: The state of our state has never been stronger or more resilient.
0: Welcome to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm Greg Bluestein.
2: And I'm Patricia Murphy, and we are two of the political insiders here at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome. And be sure to follow us on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And be sure to rate us and review us while you're there because it really helps us grow the show.
0: Okay, before we dive into the politics of the week, I want to tell a personal story because it does involve politics. And Patricia, I haven't told you this yet, but this was a holy crap moment in my life. I'm on the
2: edge of my seat right now. I'm dying.
0: <laughs> well, so the other day I was um, participating in a forum with civic leaders from all over the nation, um, and I was interviewing Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger and Gabe Sterling, one of his top aides, on stage uh, at a, the Intercontinental Hotel in Buckhead. And as I arrive, Gabe's walking right next to me, sec- the secretary's a few steps behind, and as I arrive at the ballroom and there are always people inside waiting to hear us, there's a guy, a big Big hulking guy at the door, and he stops me before I can walk in. He goes, "Mr. Bluestein." I said, "Yeah." He goes, "I have something for you," and he hands me a white envelope. And I go to put it in my pocket because you know folks will give me things every so often, and I don't really think about it. Maybe it's a letter, maybe it's a tip, something like that. Oh my god! Um, and he goes, "Hey, you, do you mind reading it now?" Oh god! And so I open the letter, and inside are two pieces of paper. One is a picture of me holding the field edition on the uh, of the AJC. At SoFi Stadium, in LA, and the second says, U.S. District Court, Southern California, Walt Disney Company, ESPN v. Bluestein. Official subpoena. <gasps> and uh, I try to play it cool because the secretary is behind me and Gabe's right next Did to me. Did you get served? Like, you just got I'm served. Like, what is going on? And then all these things are flashing in my mind. Okay, well, this was a public event. Maybe they, maybe I'm being served and they found me online and they're trying to embarrass me. I don't know. And my face probably goes white. Gabe was making fun of me and how freaked out I got for a second. And then the, the same guy hands me a giant bag of prunes and I say, (laughs) is this related to your kidney stone? (laughs) Well, I say, what is this? Because only my closest friends know how much I absolutely hate prunes. (laughs) It goes back to my childhood, but my some of my best buddies will always kind of make fun of the, the fact that I don't just hate prunes; like I loathe prunes. Um, and so I'm like, "What is going on?" And he goes, "Look at the signature." I go down and look at the signature of this little piece of paper, and it's signed by Mark Connor, who is a is, he's an esteemed Savannah businessman. He also happens to be one of my oldest friends, and he had put this guy up to doing that. He had arranged for this this guy, at this conference, to just totally. Freak me out with a fake subpoena. To say my heart almost stopped would be an understatement. I was just like, holy crap. Um, But fortunately, uh, it was all okay. But I I had a funny story to tell Gabe and and Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger.
2: Wait, I have a follow-up question. What do the prunes have to do with a subpoena? I think he
0: just, I think that was his signal to me that it was a joke. But... My first reaction was like, "Wow, you guys did your research.
2: <laughs> you really well, wanted we went to, to a, get under That my was skin? a long way to prank you. I could, I could have I, told them uh, easier ways to do that. <laughs> oh man, but they got me bad. It was probably one of the, the <laughs> worst
0: time. They got me bad. <laughs> it was great. Oh,
2: well, well, at least you weren't with um, a major political figure on your way exactly. into a speech. Okay, no problem, it, no problem, no
0: problem. You rattle me before a public <laughs> event at all? No, but we quickly. Uh, It it was a funny story to tell them. I was like, here's exactly what happened. Uh, And I did not get subpoenaed. (laughs) Well, coming up on today's episode, we're going to talk about the competing agenda from Governor Brian Kemp, Republican lawmakers and Democratic lawmakers. We're also going to talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene's moment in Congress, and we're going to answer your questions in the Politically Georgia mailbag. Also, who's up and who's down? This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.
3: Patricia,
0: we had a little breaking news to announce. Um, Just on Thursday afternoon, the governor signed an executive order that allows him to call up as many as 1,000 Georgia National Guard troops. Um, He invokes the unrest and the violence over the the public safety complex that will be built in DeKalb County um, for the city of Atlanta's uh, law enforcement authorities. But we're also told that this is a precautionary measure in case – Protests erupt over the brutal uh, killing in Memphis of a motorist who was killed earlier this month. Um, The video of that arrest is supposed to come out on Friday and law enforcement authorities are taking precautions.
2: Okay, well, yes, I would say um, putting a 1000 National Guard troops on standby is some precaution. I mean, that is serious business. It's almost CON one at this point, when you think about protesters and the National Guard and the police, who have been in the middle of those two forces for really a long time now, it feels like the governor and the mayor as well are both going off of lessons learned from um, just that horrible time in Atlanta following um, the uh, death of George Floyd and then the standoff in South Atlanta and the terrible murder of the nine year old girl um, at, at the heat of that standoff when people simply were not able to get through the streets of Atlanta um, because there were sort of armed militia guarding the Wendy's where Rayshard Brooks had been killed just just a few days later. So this has so many echoes of that. I think there, you can you can certainly understand the concern, but I mean, this is a, a significant, significant step for the governor to take when we don't have any inclination that there will be any major unrest happening here in Atlanta as a result of those um, five policemen being arrested in Memphis. But I, you know, I think they're in better safe than sorry mode at this point.
0: Yeah. Again, we are, we're being told it's precautionary. Exactly that Patricia better safe than sorry. Um, So we'll continue to closely monitor that, but that dovetails to our next topic, which is governor Kemp's state of the state speech, which he focused the brunt of it on, new plans to crack down on violent crime in Georgia.
1: We have made great strides in curbing crime, but now this fight is entering a new phase, and law enforcement needs your help to continue to achieve success. In communities across our state, gangs are actively recruiting children as young as elementary school students into a life of crime. They are targeting the most innocent among us, pulling them down a dark path that often leads to a prison cell or a cemetery. That is why, along with the Attorney General, I'm proposing legislation to increase penalties for those trying to recruit our children into a gang. Let me be clear, you come after our children, we will be coming after you.
0: You know, Patricia, he invoked the violent protest this weekend over the proposed Public Safety Center. As he talked about, what he says is a new phase of law and order measures that really continues to reshape the state's approach to criminal justice policy. Governor Nathan Deal over eight years took a very different approach, focusing more on uh, diverting more low-level offenders, nonviolent criminals away from costly prison beds towards treatment centers and other uh, programs Governor Kemp is leaving those plans intact, so he's not dis- disentangling them at all. He's not, he's not doing away with them. But instead, he has taken a much different approach on cracking down on violent crime. And really, this, this reflects the national Republican agenda, because all over the nation, we're hearing Republicans demand more law and order measures, demand more um, uh, stricter penalties on violent crimes, and move away from that sort of movement that really dominated a- about a decade ago.
2: Yes. Now, you know, for the governor to be calling up the National Guard troops and then also have this um, very forward-leaning posture on police and public safety, um, not just from the governor, but also from uh, Senate Republicans. I was at a press conference on Thursday from Senate Republicans, and they talked quite a bit about crime, about increasing penalties for uh, gang members who recruit younger members. That was probably the biggest applause line in Governor Kemp's State of the State address as well. Um, Senate Republicans are also talking about um, really forcing local prosecutors to um, prosecute specific crimes, uh, look at uh, bond requirements, look at who they're bringing into court, who they're keeping in jail, it really does feel like we're at this, not a tipping point, but definitely an inflection point, where more is going to be done by Republicans in Georgia um, in the public safety space. And to your point, some of that is necessarily going to back up and sort of revert those criminal justice reforms that nathan deal made we're starting to hear about mandatory minimums that is a phrase that really was not used in georgia for Mm -hmm. the last many years because that is really seen as a piece of um not prosecutorial or judicial discretion um having a one-size-fits-all approach and really having sentences that don't fit justice but this is where we are i think democrats also understand after the last election that even being even being accused of talking about defunding the police or reducing police resources was the wrong place for them to be in the minds of the public. The public is very worried about public safety as well. Um, I don't hear as much about sort of these um, armed standoffs from the public and voters, but we definitely do hear about street crimes, about murders, and not just in Atlanta, Albany, Savannah, Macon is having a, a significant murder spike down there as well. I mean, it's a spike; it's been high for the last two years and not abating. So, it's a very real issue. But you know, it, you really start to have your a pit in your stomach when it starts to feel like it's getting politicized, and it starts to feel like um, you're in a space where there's this tension between criminal justice and police safety rhetoric or not police safety, public safety rhetoric when, when there really doesn't need to be any. I think we're going to have to really hope and insist on really thoughtful legislation in this space because it really could go too far into people's minds. And so we'll, we'll watch that very carefully. It'll be a big piece of our reporting.
0: And one proposal in particular, governor sort of alluded to it. He said in his speech, he wants to address the what he calls the revolving door of criminal justice. Um, Lieutenant Governor Burt Jones uh, sat down with me a couple days ago as well and he he went into a little bit more detail about his vision of of basically how to address that. He wants to create a new oversight powers for the state over prosecutors, over district attorneys. He calls it he likens it to the JQC for district attorneys and the JQC is Judicial Qualifications uh, Commission. That's the watchdog agency, the state watchdog agency over judges. So now we have Republican leaders who are endorsing some form or fashion of that with district attorneys. They are invoking, we've heard them invoke issues in Athens in particular over speedy trial demands, but the danger in that, of course, and some of these proposals, by the way, were they've been floated for years, but the danger in that, or something we'll be very closely watching, is how this could pertain to the Fulton County investigation of Donald Trump. Um, and we're told by some sponsors of this and some supporters of this has nothing to do with Fulton County. But, you know, the devil is in the details. We'll see um, how this bill is authored to see if it, it could um, potentially sanction or, or, or provide uh, new rules and regulations for prosecutors like Fonnie Willis who, you know, go out and, and, and try to take on giant cases um, involving a former president. So it's very tricky territory to navigate right now. We haven't seen the text of the proposal this year, but I've seen previous proposals. So we'll see how this shakes out.
2: Yeah, what's really so fascinating about Fannie Willis and the way she's approaching her job right now, in the last year, um, even two years, she has been quite close with... Capital Republicans in Georgia. She has worked with State Senator John Albers, who's a Republican from North Fulton, on a number of public safety issues. She is working on new legislation with Albers uh, to crack down on gang violence. Even funny, Willis calls members of some gangs here in Atlanta her frequent flyers. They are in and out of the justice system. And she describes in Senate hearings that are led by Republicans her incredible frustration when she does not have the laws on the books that she needs in order to prosecute these gang members and to really prosecute them. So she doesn't want to focus on sort of, you know, the sort of the smaller issues, she doesn't really have time for that. Um, But she and a number of uh, House and Senate Republicans are actually on the same page with a lot of these things. So she is she is not One of the prosecutors, when you look over the history of the last two years, that um, Senate Republicans in particular have been um, frustrated with. She's just not. I would say, you know, her case against Trump is almost the least interesting and the least high wire (laughs) case that she's got going. I mean, this is the woman who is prosecuting almost a dozen gang members who are also very prominent rep stars, which I think that there might even be more political danger for her in that case in Fulton County than prosecuting Donald Trump, to be honest with you. Um, But she's going after these big cases, doing it on RICO charges, which is incredibly, incredibly complicated. Um, She Put a bunch of teachers behind bars. Wait, many years ago, also on RICO charges. So this is a woman who is not afraid to prosecute people who, um, who are may or may not be popular in the public. But she is a she's such an interesting prosecutor. To watch, but I don't get the sense that Willis is one of the prosecutors that uh, Republicans are talking about when they're talking about having oversight. I
0: agree, um, but we'll see how it's framed. Because again, definitely, it's all, it's all in the documents. It's all in the words. One hundred percent. It's all in the statute. Um. I do want to say one quick thing about Fannie Willis. I was at a luncheon with her earlier this week, and she described herself to a room of corporate, civic, and political leaders in Buckhead as a murder prosecutor at heart. That, that's who she is. You know, yeah, she's it she's really prosecuted a, a number of big cases, but you know, where she most sees herself is as a prosecutor who tackles uh, murder charges. Before we move on from Governor Kemp, one more topic I, I want to make sure we address, which is health care policy. Um, this is what he said about his push for a more limited expansion of Medicaid.
1: We've reduced premiums by an average of 12.4% across the state. That represents an average annual premium reduction of almost $1,000 a year. In rural communities, where premium prices were the least affordable when I took office, the reinsurance program has reduced premiums from 25 to 40%. In addition to these innovations, and with your help, we expanded Medicaid coverage to a full year after a mother gives birth. To support new mothers even more, my team is proposing legislation that will allow pregnant women who qualify to receive TANF benefits. Previously, they were unable to apply for such assistance until after a child was born. I know that this measure is supported by many in this chamber, And I'm grateful for your backing.
0: Patricia, that latter part where he is expanding TANF benefits, commonly known as welfare benefits, um, this is a reason why this this vote on the budget is going to be so hard for Democrats. Um, They don't like a lot of what's in Governor Kemp's budget, but proposals like this, as well as Kemp's proposal to fully fund the HOPE scholarship, ending the two-tier system... Is going to make it hard for Democrats in mass to vote against Governor Kemp's budget proposal. Um, we know Democrats have are not a fan of the more limited expansion. They say, why aren't we? You know, why isn't the state just going on a full-on expansion? Um, there's money in the surplus to do so in their in their view. Um, but again, the governor he laced his speech with these um, with these uh, financial incentives, raises for teachers. You know, he talked at other events about the $2 billion in givebacks um, and refunds and rebates to, to Georgians. He's made it very difficult for Democrats. There's, there'll still be a, a big block of Democrats who vote against it. But, you know, even the Democratic reaction to the speech was more about what was not in it than what
2: was in it. So, yes, it'll be hard for Democrats to vote against some of these pieces. The reality just the cold reality for Democrats in the State House and the State Senate, they don't have the votes to stop anything over there, except perhaps a constitutional amendment, which requires um, two thirds. So they don't have the votes to stop what Governor Brian Kemp wants to do, because he is most likely going to have the unanimous support of Republicans in both chambers. But they do have their, act, their message. So they do have an ability to contrast themselves against the Republicans, against Kemp, so that when someday Governor Kemp is not the governor anymore, the Democrats don't want to let the Republicans push this entire agenda forward without saying, yes, and here are all of the people you're not taking care of when you do this. Yes, it's great that you are expanding these benefits to uh, pregnant women once they know they're pregnant, who knows if, when they're going to know they're pregnant. Um, it would be nice if people were healthy before they were pregnant, so that they have a healthy pregnancy. And then they will have Medicaid until a year after they give birth, but not necessarily afterwards. So there are long swaths of women's lives when Democrats are saying, hey, you're not going to have Medicaid in those instances, if if Republicans don't expand Medicaid. So there are Number of sort of um, targeted, uh, what Kemp calls innovative initiatives on health care, rural reinsurance, the TANF for expectant mothers, the targeted Medicaid expansion, will, which will, um, you know, importantly expand Medicaid to between 50 and 90,000 Georgians. Um, that's of about 600,000 uninsured Georgians right now. And Democrats say that's just not enough. And, and even when Kemp talks about a $2,000 pay raise, Democrats say, okay, again, that's not enough. And so they will support him when they can. They'll vote against it if they think it's good for them, but they are not going to let Republicans push their agenda through without hammering them for portions of it at the same time because Democrats at this point are playing the long game. Like they are making incremental gains in the House, incremental gains in the Senate, and they believe very much eventually if they keep at it after every state of the state after every crossover day after every signee die we're going to hammer you on this stuff if we if we feel like you're not doing the right things they think eventually they're they're going to get the majority in the state
0: yeah although that would be a lot harder with the new political maps that were drawn to yeah. ensure republican power over the next decade uh, and again republicans drew them uh i think i i would say probably rather shrewdly um to protect gains in the long run, even if it meant short-term losses in the suburbs. So we'll see how that plays out in about seven years. Uh, But let's get to the Democratic response um, to Governor Kemp's agenda, because we heard on the crime front, let's start with that first, we heard from State Representative Sam Park who said, yeah, there's broad bipartisan support for legislation that targets human trafficking and other crimes. It's, again, really hard for Democrats to vote against those types of policies, even if they don't believe, or at least some of them don't believe that it, it fits into the overall approach the state should take. But what Sam Park said was, Democrats and the state at large should be very cautious not to over our communities. Um, the Democratic Party supports and fosters and will do everything to ensure bipartisan support for law enforcement, but we also must ensure police accountability That's what Sam Park said uh, and it really reflects what we're hearing from a lot of Democrats which is you know support back the blue you know support law enforcement but also know that sometimes law enforcement's narrative is not the right is not correct um, and uh, to also scrutinize law enforcement and bolster training community policing uh, a lot of those projects beyond that we also heard in general and we've heard this plenty of times before Democrats saying look uh, republican policies also bear some of the responsibility for this crime when you pass permissive gun laws in senator elena parent's view she said common sense measures to reduce the violence that the flood of guns in our streets creates needs to be accounted for um this is her quote let's be honest about what's really going on georgians can now carry a gun without a permit because of a bill the republican majority passed we need policies and laws that require common sense use of these weapons. So there is a, a sharp clash over exactly what to do over criminal justice and who's to blame.
2: Yes, and what's so amazing is that at the at the beginning of this session here we're seeing really significant policy clashes on healthcare on criminal justice, on um, potential policing reforms or expansions. And we haven't even gotten to the really contentious stuff yet. We have not heard anything about new abortion restrictions yet. We haven't heard anything um, in Georgia, but we have in other states about um, new changes to the law related to transgender students or transgender minors. I feel like um, we are still just in the, almost in the honeymoon phase right now of some of the issues that are going to be really, really Contentious, Um, but we just haven't gotten there yet, and already we're seeing you know, really significant differences on policy on these really big issues. And these are also really the issues that have a lot to do with funding. Um, And Republicans push back to Democrats um, saying, you should spend $10,000 on this and you should expand Medicaid fully. Um, They'll say, listen, we do not have the money. The state, even though it is running a surplus right now, it won't always, we're hearing quite a bit about um, storm clouds on the horizon. We've heard that from multiple state officials. And so um, Republicans are also saying, Um, despite the fact that there is this huge, huge surplus right now, more than $6 billion, they want to be seen as the party um, of uh, restraint and caution, fiscal responsibility, and um, also putting them in a position to continue to take credit for the state's um, really strong economy that we're looking at right now.
0: Okay, let's look beyond crime too, because Democrats laid out a rival vision of Georgia's future that includes measures to create a $15 state minimum wage, Hike teacher pay by $10,000 a year. That, that sort of mirrors Stacey Abrams' uh, proposal. Governor Kemp says $2,000 a year is enough in the budget. Uh, expand civil rights protections, repeal anti-abortion laws, and reinstate firearms restrictions. Uh, that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's a lot of other uh, policies. Uh, of course, most notably, maybe full-on Medicaid expansion, which is what Democrats have been pushing for for about the last decade. Um, but Patricia, you know it's it's an understatement to see these competing competing visions clash. I mean, they're they're a very stark contrast.
2: Yes, very stark contrast. We still are in early days of this legislative session. We're at legislative day, depending on when what day people are listening to this podcast, either legislative day, um, seven, eight or nine. Um, But out of a 40 day session, there is a lot of time left and um, you really still get a sense that they are just getting their legs underneath them, just getting organized and the real legislating and the real debate and even battles are still yet to come. That
0: is a perfect place to take a break. This is Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.
4: Hip-hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song.
0: And we're back to Politically Georgia from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein with your other host, Patricia Murphy. Not only are we two of your hosts for the Politically Georgia podcast, we're also two of the three authors of the Morning Jolt newsletter, which sets the stakes in the agenda in Georgia politics. And you can get it in your inbox every morning if you're a subscriber to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. You can join the community now by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. And your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That's subscribe at ajc.com/podcasts, so you always know what's really going on. Patricia, the funny thing about that promo is, I was at a great dinner at Warhorse the other night with some avid listeners, and one of them just repeated back the, the first couple lines to me. So, <laughs> I guess I guess the the AJC's um, uh, podcast producers, Shaney, B and J Black would be very proud to know that th- that promo is really infecting the minds of so many of our listeners.
2: Well, I sure hope that they took their opportunity to get a uh full month of digital access for just 99 cents. Do you think that they did that?
0: I, you know, they were already uh <laughs> loyal subscribers, but I oh, hope good. so many of other listeners take that uh under advisement
2: so greg okay. you had your um big night out at warhorse i gave a i had a speaking engagement earlier on thursday and you know i have given some speeches i have spoken i don't want to brag but i've spoken at the harvard business school and i've spoken at the national press club and this speech to miss chastain's fourth grade class really rattled me oh, <laughs> I had to speak to my daughter's you. class. <laughs>
4: did they just tear you I up I mean
2: first of all it was 30 had a 30 minute window which is a very long time for a speaking engagement especially if you're talking about fourth graders and i mean you have got to hold those kids attention like for twenty nine minutes and fifty nine seconds, and I mean, I was sweating by like we by a minute ten. I'm like, oh my, started panicking. Like, what am I gonna say? So <laughs> my daughter, for questions. Yes, I did. Well, I opened it for questions, but I'd also had brought. Um, well, I went through the five Ws of journalism: the who, what, where, when, why. I told them about what you and I do, and I was trying to regale them with all of our stories of how super cool our jobs are. And then people were like, um. Oh, Harper came up to me like to rescue me. She's like, you should pass out the newspapers because I brought in <laughs> copies of the AJC and passed it out. And um, then that really got the conversation going. They were absolutely mesmerized by the coupons. Oh, of course, <laughs> Love the coupons. Love the sports page. So I have to give a shout out to our Braves coverage, Justin Toscano. Um, there was a big piece on... Um, Dansby Swanson leaving. There's a little boy in the class whose last name is Swanson. So he thought it was super cool that the Braves were going to miss him so much. And uh, (laughs) then I then I do feel like I rescued victory from the jaws of defeat. But um, I mean, I had to really dig deep my what I decided to do was ask them what questions they had for the governor and oh, the president and a lot like our ajc polls they had a lot of questions about why things are so expensive and why groceries are so expensive <laughs> and why cars the fourth yep, why cars cost so much more than they used to so um i would like to report that that polling although we typically poll only voting voting age georgians the below voting age georgians are also um are are playing to type as well so that was my it. that was my takeaway but um Boy, just keep those coupons coming. That's all I can say for the print edition. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it gives you a new appreciation for Miss Chastain's job, right?
2: Oh, my word. God. I mean, I left there. I'm like, God bless those teachers. And I mean, I think of it every day. I know it's amazing, but it is so hard to keep 22 fourth graders looking at you and paying attention and not just melt under the pressure (laughs) so my hat is off to all of the teachers out there that is some hard job and i was only there for 30 minutes
0: amen i always tell the story but fourth grade was also the reason why i was inspired to go into journalism you might have inspired someone because when i was in fourth grade at what was then called the greenfield hebrew academy the ajc braves beat reporter ij rosenberg came to speak to our class and i don't remember what he said i don't remember what, he, what lessons he imparted but all i remember is going home that day and telling my mom i want to be a journalist oh my god and fantastic. when she got over her shock and dismay <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, what about being uh, a doctor or a lawyer greg
0: <laughs> yeah exactly and, and and that that is uh, fast forward she i was somehow convinced that i did not want to be a journalist and that i should go and and be a doctor instead until i got a couple of really, really bad grades in, in high school, uh, <laughs> physics classes, and really good grades in, in English and history <laughs> classes, and someone was trying to tell me something else. Okay. Um, Patricia, we got to talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene, too, because there's a number of reports this week that the Republican from Rome, Georgia, would potentially be a running mate for, for Donald Trump, that she was jockeying to be um, his right-hand woman in his comeback bid, if he gets the Republican nomination. In general, though, her clout, look, she's always drawn headlines because of her firebrand statements and uh, lies and QAnon beliefs and you you name it, um, conspiracy theories and racist and xenophobic and anti-Semitic statements. Um, but right now, she's this unique bridge as well, right? She has Kevin McCarthy's support. There's a great New York Times story about their unique relationship. At the same time, she's this kind of link to the MAGA movement with Donald Trump in, the, in, the, in Congress. Um, she's gone from pariah to power broker.
2: Listen, she has two speeds, and those are her two speeds: pariah and power broker. Um, (laughs) I had a chance to spend the day with Marjorie Taylor Greene earlier this year. No, I'm sorry, that was last year because it's January. It was last year, Um, and she had invited a number of media to join her in Rome for a day—a day, you know, sort of her typical day going around her uh, 14th congressional district. And it was me, the New York Times, the Atlantic. Time Magazine. Um, she she had a very specific strategic plan even then, and it was very obvious that she had intentions of not being an outsider and a joke. She wanted to be taken seriously, um, but she also made it very clear that she was not going to sort of roll over and change her brand. There was a moment um, where she got into back and forth with a local reporter. And the cameras are rolling. Um, Up to this moment, she had been with her constituents hugging them, um, saying, "Oh, you know," they were saying to her, "Girl, I love you. You are my hero." You know, she's like, "Oh my gosh, thank you so much. You're so sweet." You know, just like it, just sort of like a down home girl. Um, and then when she got into this fight with the reporter, it was like napalm. She absolutely ripped this guy, and it really felt like performance art. I mean, she she said, "I want to make. I want y'all to make sure these cameras are rolling. I want you to see, and I want you to quote back to me exactly what I said." And they, she could have gone on for hours with this thing. And it was working for her. That's her brand. The people behind her were screaming at us, fake news. You know, it was just sort of this incredible moment to see her create the media as, a, as an enemy, but then also use the media as sort of a tool in her march to relevance. And I left that really thinking that, um, you know, it's okay to be disliked in politics but it's not okay to be perceived as just completely dangerous and she was really working hard to back herself away from her previous brand and move over to um, to relevance and so reaching out to McCarthy and she started that months ago mm-hmm. reaching out to McCarthy she knew he wanted to be speaker he knew he wanted to be speaker she made it known to him that she was on his side and for him to be able to have like the most freedom member of the Freedom Caucus backing his speaker bid was hugely important and he knew that and she was basically his ride or die I mean like in the darkest hours at 2 a.m during those four days of hell for Kevin McCarthy she was there with him and those are the moments that are that forge political relationships in rock and it that is not going to change and so she she has a ticket in this McCarthy majority um and she also has a ticket in the Donald Trump um, sideshow, which is what it is right now, um, she's his ride or die too. She was out there introducing Donald Trump on the stump while he was getting impeached. And while he, the January 6th committee was revealing all of these really disturbing details about his behavior and conduct, she was his ride or die also. So she has really befriended and um, partnered with these, the two most powerful men in the Republican world right now. And um, she's been very strategic about it and it's really starting to bear fruit and I think it will continue to.
0: Yeah, who'd have thought um, a couple years ago that Marjorie Taylor Greene would be one of the power centers in Congress. Okay, let's get to one of our favorite segments, the listener mailbag. And you can now call the Politically Georgia podcast hotline anytime, leave a question, and we'll play it back and answer your question right here on the podcast. The number is 770-810-5297. Producer Shani B is standing by. Oh, you know, that sound to me means the end of the week.
3: <laughs> that is an introduction to Shaney B and to a weekend. Hey, guys. Exactly. Hey, Shaney B. You know, I was thinking over the past several weeks... You know, we have had a great run of callers to the Politically Georgia podcast hotline who have followed the rules. Oh, no. Yeah. If you don't leave us a name, I will give you one. Well, (laughs) that streak is over.
4: Hey, Greg and Patricia.
2: Um, I do have a name, but I would rather be assigned one just because I'm curious.
3: So, Greg, (laughs) Patricia, Politically Georgia listeners, let's say hello to Roberta Marley.
4: My question
2: is, what's on the table for marijuana with the current legislation? Are we looking at anything happening anytime
1: soon? Just curious.
3: Well, Roberta, that's a great
0: question. Our AJC colleague Mark Misi has been all over these developments, but first – before we even get into this, the AJC poll actually surveyed Georgia voters on this very issue, and this was interesting. It found that about 53% of Georgians surveyed said marijuana should be legal for adults, which is a high point from previous AJC polls. Uh, in contrast, just a few years ago, back in 2017, only 46% of poll respondents said marijuana should be legalized for any purpose. Um, look, state law has a, has allowed people a certain chronic and other conditions to use medical marijuana since 2015, um, but it's still, this program's been a limbo because of legal battles and regulatory hurdles, but medical marijuana sales in Georgia have moved a step closer toward becoming reality with the approval this week of rules for testing, inspections, and distribution. So it's still, it's still not, we still got a little ways to go, but this program is slowly plodding forward. Okay, it's time for our final segment of the show.
4: It's
0: time for Who's Up and Who's Down, and we always like to end on a high note. So, Patricia, who's your Who's Down for the Week?
2: Greg, my Who's Down for the Week is Republican Congressman Buddy Carter The current sponsor of the fair tax proposal in Washington, that is actually... 25 years old that idea is older than some of our listeners (laughs) here on the podcast um that was first introduced by georgia congressman then georgia congressman john linder i mean this has been rattling around yes the rattling around dunwoody for more than two decades but buddy carter picked it up somebody introduces it every cycle this is his cycle to do it um he has gotten absolutely ripped for this proposal by democrats as you would expect joe biden really just basically mocked the idea on Thursday in a major speech, but also by Republicans. The Wall Street Journal editorial board wrote an entire editorial on this and called it the GOP's fair tax masochism and said if they do one thing this year, it better be killing this bill in committee before it even gets to a floor vote. So It's not even Buddy Carter's idea. He has a lot of other really interesting ideas, Um, but he's really taken it on the chin from other Republicans for this particular concept that was not his idea in the first place, but he's agreed to carry the water, and that water is relatively heavy this year. (laughs) This is quite the burden. My who's down are the
0: hardliners from either party. One of the more interesting questions in the AJC poll was this one. In general, is it more important for elected officials to compromise to find solutions or stand on principle, even if it means gridlock? Well, the answers would, might, might surprise you. 54% of Georgia voters said they'd rather see their officials, elected officials, compromise. Only 35% said stand on principle, and 11% said they don't know or they don't care. So a solid majority of folks want to see their lawmakers find consensus, find compromise, rather than standing solely on principle leading to gridlock. Okay, Patricia, who is your who's
2: up for the week? Greg, my who's up for the week. There's no question in my mind. It is the new crop of interns and in the state capitol on the oh, House man. side and the Senate side. Um, I have been stopped by multiple interns who listen to this podcast. And they um, these are the go-getters in the world. They listen to it on their way to work. Some of them are driving from Athens every day, from Kennesaw. This is sort of their winter job or their winter internship experience, but they don't live very close to the Capitol. Traffic is a nightmare. Um, They're getting there every day. And boy, are they a bunch of fresh faces down there. They're so enthusiastic. um, And they listen to this podcast. They're interns in Senator Robertson's office, Senator Walker's office, and a bunch of others who are loyal listeners. So you guys are my winner. This week,
0: we absolutely love to hear from you guys too. When we see you in the hallways of the Capitol, don't hesitate to come and say hi as well. We love it. Um, okay, my who's up? It's gonna be I don't know how to put it the marijuana crowd. I <laughs> <sound> like, it's <laughs> not like a 1920s uh, TV ad or something like that. I sound like a 1920s radio ad, the marijuana crowd. But um, look, we already talked about the poll that showed that 53% of Georgians surveyed said marijuana should be legal for adults. There was another part of that poll too, asked whether or not um, Georgia voters approved of President Biden's decision to pardon individuals convicted on federal charges of marijuana possession. An overwhelming majority, we're talking more than 80% said they approve of Biden's decision. So uh, there's been a clear sea change over this issue in Georgia. We're also seeing it reflects the national mood. We'll see if or when state lawmakers and federal politicians catch up to that. Well, thanks so much for listening to the Politically Georgia podcast. You can count on new episodes to come out every Wednesday, every Friday, or whenever news breaks. We'll see you next time on Politically Georgia from the AJC.